Well, please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We will consider a topical sermon today as in anticipation of new members being received in the congregation, and we will look at the Macedonian example as the Apostle Paul uses them as an example of Christians giving themselves to both the Lord and to his church. So with that, to set our theme in order, please give your attention to 2 Corinthians 8. We will mostly be focusing on verse 5, but I will read the first nine verses to give us the context. Please give your attention again to the reading of God's holy word, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as we abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. O our gracious God, we come now to uh, hear the preaching of the word, and we know that the man who preaches without the Spirit of the Lord is not sufficient for this to proclaim the glorious riches of the grace of God and the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. O Lord, would you enable your minister to preach up Christ and preach the beauty of the church. O Lord, we pray that the Spirit of the Lord would enable him to do this, and that same Spirit, that same Spirit that makes the people of God one in Christ would be present on the ears that would hear. O Lord, we pray now that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. For we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. It is often lost today, but the church as the church must be important to us. The church as an institution is to be precious to believers. Even if, and this is where our mind goes straight away, even if, as we know, The church is imperfect. So long as she has not degenerated into what the Bible might call a synagogue of Satan, as many have over the years, she must be embraced and she must be cared for by the saints of God, called by God. For the church, as you heard last week in the baptism, is the bride of Christ, the kingdom of God on this earth. It is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ, as I have said. It is the mother of all who believe. 
And even with all her imperfections, we know this one truth. Christ himself loves her and gave himself for her. And so we, his people, are called to love her and give ourselves to her because Christ has. And our text says that to give ourselves to the church is the will of God for us. That it is the response of the soul saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. To first consecrate ourselves to the Lord, as verse 5 says, and then give ourselves to His church. For we see throughout the Scriptures that the church is the mystical body of Christ. And we are all members of that mystical body. The Bible says that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. 1 Corinthians 12, 25-27 So as we prepare this morning to receive new members who have given themselves first to the Lord, today... We will see them give themselves to us through the covenant. And before we do that, we must consider the theme of giving ourselves. Giving ourselves first to the Lord and then to the church. We'll do that by considering the Macedonian example under the three heads on your bulletin. First is giving yourself in context. Perhaps these are the preconditions, really, to giving yourself. Second is giving yourself first to the Lord. And then third giving yourself second to the church. So first, giving yourself in context. Let's understand the background to this text that we might be enriched by it. The context concerns the church of Macedonia. They gave out of great poverty to the mother church in Jerusalem that had great need during a time of famine. And though they were very poor, as the text says, They gave out of that poverty willingly and abundantly. They knew that Jerusalem and Macedonia were both part of the same body of Christ. And as we've heard, when one part of the body suffers, all suffer. When one part of the body rejoices, all rejoice. And you think of this. Jerusalem was what? Predominantly Jewish. And Macedonia was Greek, but they were one in Christ. And so Paul uses the Macedonians as examples for another church, the church in Corinth, to spur that church on in charity. As an aside, I want to deal with this real briefly. For examples, it is a very biblical practice to survey the churches of God and to conform ourselves to the very best examples in doctrine and practice as we see them conforming to the Word of God. For those of us who are covenanters, as our, uh, our brother preached earlier, you remember that the Solemn League and Covenant directed that the doctrine, worship, discipline, and government of the churches of the three kingdoms were to be reformed according to what? The Word of God and the example of the best reformed churches. May we observe the very best churches of God and see where we might need to repent or reform. 
And for us too, then, the exhortation is we must be like churches commended by the Lord in the Bible, like the church in Macedonia. We must be an example to other churches in doctrine and practice and service, brethren. Take this into your own life, not just corporately. Friends, you you need to look. Boys and girls, I'm going to speak to you now. You need to look very closely at godly men and women to imitate. You see how they follow the Lord, how they follow the Word of God, and you follow them and imitate them. And then you resolve, you say to God, God, make me an example worthy of imitation. What could the Apostle Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Would Jesus say to you, yes, you are worthy of being imitated? Would he say, yes, there is something of you, of me, in you, worthy of imitation? Resolve to be so. You know, in this body, we need one another. We need one another to see one another following the Lord closely. What a terrible thing it would be if none of us were examples to the other in doctrine and faith and practice. A terrible thing. We must ourselves do our part as part of the body to be men and women who follow after the Lord and to keep an eye out for those here who are worthy of imitation. When we say that this brother or that sister is living this word, as Paul told Timothy, what did Paul tell Timothy? Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. 1 Timothy 4.12 And that is what the Macedonians were. Examples. They are examples, you think of this, gloriously. They are examples to the church, to the end of the age. What a wonderful thing that is in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit through the Scriptures, using them as examples for the churches. Well, as examples, what we know of the Macedonians is that they were very poor in the world's ledger. But in God's ledger the ledger that really matters, friend. Do you see how rich they were? How God commends them? The Corinthians were to learn of this richness, and we must too. We must learn what true riches are before God. Uh, The Macedonians, you see this, they never saw their earthly resources as something to be grasped onto. Paul held them forth in verse 2. Listen to this. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy... And their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. What a wonderful wordplay that is. You could almost sit there listening to that for hours. In them, deep poverty fused with rich liberality. That's not something the world puts together, is it? Never puts those two things together. But why is it that Christians are so eager to share even when they are impoverished? Look at it. Their grasp on Christ was greater than that of their pocketbook. They had an abundance of joy. See, it is out of that abundance of joy, not out of the abundance of their treasures on earth. That is what made them give liberally. They had very little materially. And so as you see their example here, if you want to serve Christ well, you need to find an abundance of joy. Where did this abundance of joy spring from? Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The Macedonians knew the gospel, that the Lord of glory became poor for sinners. 
Even to the point, right, we think of his outward poverty. Even to the point where he is stripped naked, stripped bare, and put on a cross, mocked and tormented before the whole earth. Destitute. Even so, now you think of his destitution there. Destitute even of the shining face of God as he hung on the cross, suffering the wrath of men. Who did he do it for? For you who believe, you can say, for your sake, the Lord of glory through his poverty made me rich. How did he make you rich, believer? Do you know? Do you know how he made you rich? Did he make you rich in the bank? Probably not. Definitely not. He made you rich in salvation to pay that infinite sin debt that you never could owe to God. He made you rich in graces that you might have a holy walk before the Lord. He made you rich as an heir, to be an heir of God himself as the sons and daughters of God Almighty. Jesus Christ possessed all these things. And he became poor that you might become rich in his place. And so the Macedonians, seeing the need of Jerusalem and understanding the joy of the gospel, did something that Paul said even shocked himself. In verse 5, speaking of their giving, he writes, And this they did not as we had hoped. What does he mean by that? Does he say he's, he's actually disappointed? No, he says, I had hoped they would give very little. That was my hope, that maybe they would find something to spare. But what they did is they gave so much. They were liberal with their giving. These people who had so little, so much so that he was astonished by it. And the Macedonians did this. Unlike the twisted, perverted prosperity gospel, they didn't do it to have any earthly expectation. They never had in their mind, if I give from my poverty, the Lord will make me wealthy. Yet, they received anyhow better things than that. At the very least, you see, they received the Lord's commendation in this text, as all who do such things. But they were also enriched spiritually, friends, as all who do such things will be. Acts 20, verse 35. This is the command. You ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is great blessing in giving, even out of your poverty. And I think you learn something of their joy when you remember the Macedonian church's history and you see their gratitude to the Lord and to the church. You remember how that church began, don't you? It's in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter. The Lord gives Paul a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. What did they cry? They cried to the Lord, help us. Not with money. They're not here. They're a poor church. They're poor people. They're not asking for money. They're asking, help our souls. Give us the gospel. Give us ministers to preach Christ to us. For without him we die. Our people will perish eternally in hell. Come over and help us, they cried. What does the Lord do? He sends Luke, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to Macedonia. They heard the words of life and they were converted. Who's one of the first that they meet there? 
Lydia, converted in Philippi. The Philippian church was founded through the Macedonian call, as was the church at Thessalonica. And what are these two churches in your New Testament? Probably best known for two of the churches that had the least controversies with the Lord. Two of the shining examples, really, in the New Testament of New Testament churches. They were grateful to receive Christ, friends. They cried out, help us, and the Lord helped them. But what was the means the Lord used to help them? It was the church, by the sending of men from the church to go and help them. And having received help from the Lord's church, you see that their aim was to help the church in return. Brethren, it's easy to forget this. We have all been saved through the church. We've all been saved through the church by ministers, missionaries, translators of scripture who have come through the church, godly parents who have been part of the church. Whether we realize it or not, we are all saved through the church ordinarily. She is our mother, as Calvin said in his Institutes. There is no other way to enter into life unless this mother conceive us in her womb, give us birth, and nourish us at her breast. Institutes 414. And what do we do with our own mothers when they are ailing and sick? Is it not our duty before God to support them? And that's what the Macedonians understood. When the mother church in Jerusalem is ailing, they treated her as their own mothers. So the sermon today is about first principles, how to set our priorities as we give ourselves. And we have to set the church in our priorities You know, from the time they received the gospel, it is plain to see the Macedonians had two priorities, and in this order. The first was the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is paramount. And the second was his people, the church. Verse 5, again, first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. By the will of God, then, these must also be our two great priorities as well. To give ourselves to the Lord and then to his church. So with that as context, we consider our second heading, giving yourself first to the Lord. Well, remember again in verse 5, they first gave their own selves to the Lord. And that is where we begin with church membership today. Church membership is subservient to giving ourselves to the Lord first. Nor is church membership part of becoming part of a social club to belong to a group. Even though this is an important society, The church is and has turned the world upside down. It is the most important society on the face of the earth. But what we must never make the mistake of doing is this, is to make the church itself our identity. You know, some do this. The church itself is their identity. Why do they spend all their time at the church? Because their identity is rooted in the church. And that's not right. That's actually worthy of condemnation, friends. Ask many Roman Catholics, why are you Roman Catholic? What's the answer? My family is Roman Catholic. We belong to this church. Our identity, their identity, is really simply rooted in it from a cultural perspective and not really to follow the Lord. And I wish it were the case that such a cultural faith were not found in the Reformed Presbyterian Church. But it so often is with us too. Ask Many Reformed Presbyterians who come from a a lineage of RPs, why are you Reformed Presbyterian? They might well say, well, that's our family history. 
I come from a long line of Reformed Presbyterians all the way back to Scotland or Ireland. Now there is, I have to admit, and I pray that for my own children, there's something wonderful about covenant faithfulness from the Lord in that, isn't there? My oldest, as you probably know, is at RPTS with youth there that are from countless generations of Reformed Presbyterians. And it's hard to see that anymore in Protestantism, even though as we prayed, right, what's the, what is the promise of the second commandment? To a thousand generations, to them that love me and keep my commandments. Um, so we do say God has shined his face upon us truly as a denomination in that way. But we must show our children that we are never, ever culturally Reformed Presbyterian, but by conviction out of the scriptures. Ours is no cultural movement but a biblical one. And so let me just say, never ever root your spiritual identity with a particular denomination. Because the problem will come when you're, if you're, and God forbid that it will happen, that your denomination leaves Christ and his word. Then you are at a problem and your children are going to stick around with an apostate church. And that is of no use to them. Root your identity first in Christ and his word. Never say, thus saith the church. Always say, thus saith the Lord. The Macedonians are a great example to us that they miss two horrible ditches. One is to set your entire identity in the church, and the other is to have no care for the church at all. It's clear they embraced the church, but she was secondary. What was primary for them? Jesus Christ. They first gave their own selves to the Lord. That is what we would call consecration. That is consecration to the Lord. That's the response of the regenerated soul, friend. A giving of ourselves, all of ourselves, all of us, to the Lord. But you never ever reverse the order. You never give yourself, uh, okay, let me say it this way, because this is the problem in so much uh, Catholicism, isn't it? And even sometimes in Protestantism in, in certain circles, You never consecrate yourself to the Lord that he would save you. Instead, you consecrate yourself to the Lord as a response to his salvation. To do it the other way around is fatal, and it's the stuff of popery and monkery, isn't it? No, you need to trust this promise from the the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, verse 13. You need to trust that simple promise from God and you will be saved, and you will be saved to the uttermost. All your sins will be wiped away. Your sin debt will be repaid because Jesus, you will recognize, became poor for your sake, and His riches, His grace, His mercy are accounted to you, and your spiritual bankruptcy was His to own. Church membership does no good, and you need to hear this, it does no good in the life to come if you have no saving interest in Jesus Christ. At the judgment throne, no man is going to enter in by saying, I was a member of the Reformed Presbyterian Church. Not a single one. At the judgment throne, you will only be received by God if you were a member of Jesus Christ through faith in him. By saying to the Lord that Jesus Christ is my precious Redeemer and I trusted in him, that his righteousness is mine, And I simply have trusted in that. And that is the basis of my coming before you, O God. And he will say to that, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. 
But having being saved, and this is why we must never reverse the order, your response, if you truly have saving faith, is to consecrate yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, both in body and soul. It's a marvelous thing I've always considered. You know, I love our catechism very much, but our brethren in other Reformed churches commit to their memory as the first answer that they have from a very small child, that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins. That's what consecration to the Lord is like the response of saving faith. And all that memorable phrase out of the Heidelberg Catechism is, is the summation of Scripture. It's not the invention of any church. Romans 14, 7 and 8, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? That is what consecration to the Lord is like. It's a giving of yourself, body and soul, life and death, all of it, to the Lord. Believer, you and I no longer exist in a sense. We don't exist for ourselves. We have returned our life to the Lord out of love after the Lord in love has given his life for us. And we say it is his desires now that compel us and constrain us. What did we hear after the communion service last month? For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which lived should not henceforth live unto themselves. But what? Unto him which died for them and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5. You are to give yourself to the Lord. You are to live holy lives for His sake. You are to give yourselves to the Lord, and you do it in view of what? This is why the gospel comes first before you do it. You remember that He first gave Himself for me. The more you meditate on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you out of the Word of God, the more you will abound with joy, just as the Macedonians did the more you will be ready to live a consecrated life of sacrifice to the Lord. Consider how Peter ties your consecration or holiness based on Christ's redemptive work. 1 Peter 1, 15-19 But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with what? Who can finish it? But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Where does be holy for I'm holy rooted? Where is that consecration to the Lord rooted? It's on a meditation of your salvation. The more a man recognizes his great sinfulness, that his sin is all throughout him and there's nothing he can do to atone for it, 
The more he remembers the holy wrath of God revealed against his sin, the more he sees that he is utterly, utterly at the mercy of God, the more grateful he is that out of Jesus Christ was opened up a precious, precious fountain of blood to cleanse him from his sin and uncleanness. And he recognizes he was not, he was not in any sense redeemed with silver and gold, the stuff of his bank account, which is called corruptible things. And you think of this. I always love thinking of 1 Peter 1 and then think of Peter's preaching. What does he preach? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. What does he have? He has Jesus Christ. He has Christ to hold out, the greatest gift of all. And that's why he says you must be consecrated to the Lord out of gratitude. Why be ye holy for I'm holy ought to be our burning desire out of love. And you think of this. The heathen asks, you know, the believer asks this question of the heathens and the Catholics. If they consecrate themselves to their religious orders in a vain hope of salvation, why do I not consecrate myself and devote my life to God who freely gave me a full salvation reserved in the heavens now? Why is it that those people who want to earn their salvation, their standing before God, which is futile and cannot be done, why will they devote all of themselves, supposedly to the Lord, of course, and yet I can't do it to a Redeemer who has laid down his life for me and said, in response, be holy as I am holy. But you see all of this, right? All of this meditation, and that's all we're doing. We're meditating on the Scripture, as surely the Macedonians did. And that's why their joy abounded, and they gave liberally. They understood Christ. Surely the Macedonians meditated, and I'm certain with their interaction with Paul, sometime he must have said the words that the Lord Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself for me. Out of Galatians 2. And what do they do in return? They give their own selves to the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful pairing? He gives himself to us, and we give ourselves in return. And that's the way the gospel works. Child of God, give your heart to the Lord, all of it. Give your body, give your soul to the Lord, all of it. Do not reserve any bit of it for yourselves. All must go to the Lord. Is there a desire, any desire, no matter how small it is, in your heart to live the rest of your life in this manner? That I will give all of myself to the Lord to live in a way where my life might be summed up by God in this way, holiness unto the Lord, a separation for him and him only. I suppose even hearing this, some of you might be cordoning off parts of your heart. You can have that much, but not over here, not over here. can't have that bit, that bit I reserve for myself. Lord, you cannot have this portion. You cannot have that portion. That much is for me. No, give all of yourself to the Lord. That is your duty before God. It is to give all of yourself to the Lord. And when you find consecration to the Lord difficult, and it is, it's impossible for the flesh, you must seek the grace of the Lord to do it. Through the means of grace, of course, word, prayer, and sacrament. You must use those means, though. We'll talk about that this afternoon in Hebrews 5. You must exercise those means. In other words, you must bring before those means the things that have difficulty for you. Just Bible reading by itself and prayers by itself and taking the Lord's Supper by itself does nothing. 
But you must bring your deficiencies to the Lord in those things. Asking for the grace of the Lord to work in those things. You will never, in other words, muscle yourself to holiness. You must have the grace of the Lord to do it. Augustine, you might know very well, when he needed self-restraint, and he struggled with that, as you're aware, as he struggled with self-restraint to be holy to the Lord, he wrote those memorable words rooted in the love of Christ and the grace of God in his confessions. He prayed, He loves you less who together with you love something which he does not love for your sake. What a wonderful thing it is to meditate on that. To love something not for the sake of Christ is a sin. O love, you ever burn and are never extinguished. O charity, my God, set me on fire. You command continence. Grant what you command and command what you will. Confessions 10, 9. That is the heart of a man or a woman who knows the love of Christ. They love him in return and they consecrate themselves to him, body and soul. They say, set me on fire, Lord. You have commanded me to be holy. So give what you command. Give me holiness. Give me a desire for it and make me set apart for you, Lord. And command whatever you will. I will not turn a blind eye to any portion of the scripture. If this part is hard for me, I say, command it of me, Lord. And give me the power to do it. Why? I am yours, Lord. All of me. All of me is yours. And that's the heart of a Christian. This is, as verse 5 says, the will of God for you. And so, having given yourself to the Lord, the next part is you give yourself to his church, also by the will of God. And that's our last heading. Giving yourself second to the church. And so after the Macedonians had first given themselves to the Lord, we read that they gave themselves unto us by the will of God. Now, in context, the us are the apostles, acting as representatives, though, for the whole universal church. In other words, the Macedonians did not give themselves to Paul or Silas. They didn't give themselves to Luke or Timothy. That's not what it means when they said they gave themselves unto us. We have to be clear on that because there are going to be tyrants in the church that may use a text like this to demand total and utter obedience. Now, the family joining today will not give themselves to me or the other elders, but we as elders will represent the government of Christ's church. And that's why we administer the church covenant to them as officers of Christ. When they do so, they are truly, though, giving themselves to the church of Jesus Christ. And as Paul wrote, that is the will of God for us. That is the will of God for us. It is a manifestation that you have given yourself to the Lord, in other words. Someone who is consecrated to the Lord will give himself or herself to the Lord's body, to the church, the people of God. And that is an irresistible drive found in all true believers. They want to go where God's people are named. They want to go and have communion with Christ and his people together. Because true believers understand the church's relationship to their Lord. That the church is the body of Christ and all its members are joined together in him. That the church is the temple of Jesus Christ. That together it is the presence of Christ 
that burns together among them. That the church is the bride of Christ. Together, all its members are loved and nourished and cherished by Him. And as the church is the bride of Christ, she is our mother, as Calvin said. From out of her, we are born again and enter Christ's nursery. Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They are added to the church, those who are saved. And our confession uses that verse to tell us that outside of the church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. That being born again from the Spirit, friends, we all share the same Spirit that cries what? Abba, Father. That testifies that we together are the children of God. You see, there is an irresistible drive for the children of God to come together. And that's why we pray and are taught to pray what? Our Father which art in heaven. Together. Not alone. Not my Father which art in heaven. But our Father. And so we also together are in that great war together, aren't we? We're all contending for the faith against the world. Together the kingdom of God on the earth, the church, where Christ's banner is raised and the oracles of God proclaimed. For all these reasons, the the church is dear to God's people. It has to be, and they love it. And the question must be asked of all of us, is the church, even with her many faults, dear to you? Is the church dear to you? Is the bride of Christ dear to you? Brethren, is the church as dear to you as it is to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question at the end of the day, isn't it? When you notice that Christ loves the church with all of her deficiencies, and he must because he's a savior. He's the savior of his body, the church. You must love the church with all her deficiencies. Brethren, it is the will of God in this text that believers give themselves to the church. And it is your duty before God, and I'm not speaking to those in process, but those who have a bucked at it, you must join a church if you are not a part of a church yet. Do not let the church's imperfections stop you. Let me just be very honest with you and open, because this is the Bible, and the Bible is honest and open. You will never join a perfect church. Never. Those who try to will jump from church to church to church, never satisfied in this life, and will probably sit it out. Friends, you must join instead the most biblical one in the area. And if there is no biblical church in the area, move. It's that vital. It's that vital, friends. Move where there is one. You know, Spurgeon was well aware, and you think here's the man that they called the Prince of Preachers. I believe is Jesus Christ. But here's a man that is often called the Prince of Preachers. When he preached on this text, he said to those who are listening, follow this example of the Macedonians, that is, and give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. That's the heart of a man who loves Christ and loves his bride. There's a common thread that goes like this. You know, the church is full of hypocrites. 
The church is full of imperfect doctrine, and yes, both are true. We are bound to confess in our confession that there is no perfect church under the heavens. But to extrapolate from Spurgeon, it is self-righteousness to think that you are perfect, that you are perfectly not a hypocrite, and that your doctrine is perfect as well. Are you no hypocrite? Are you perfect before the Lord? Are you filled with doctrinal purity? No. One of the things I've often found with those, and I've dealt with folks like this over the years, most of those who think themselves too pure for the church are actually the ones who are filled with sin. Because they are sinners and they don't want anyone to hold them accountable. And their facade is to say, well, the church isn't good enough. When they realize that to sit under the oracles of God day in, day out, to have elders look over their souls, is to really expose themselves before the Lord. And that's really what they're afraid of, friends. That's all it is. So I want you to recall this thing, that one of the Macedonian churches was the church at Philippi. And as commendable as she was, she had conflict in her. Philippians 4.2, I beseech Yodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. There is conflict here in one of the best churches in the New Testament. And when you give yourself to the uh, church, know you will face difficulty. You will not always face uh, beautiful days of purely just singing in the joy of the Lord with your brothers and sisters. Some days you will simply have conflict, but that conflict must be dealt with. And the church is not to be run away from, but instead embraced. That's why he says, I beseech, I plead, I beg, I the apostle beg these two that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Resolve your difficulties. The kingdom of God on the earth is called the kingdom of grace. And grace, as we know, is glory begun. But it is not glory yet. In heaven, there are no schisms. In heaven, there are no fights. But today, there will be. And you need to work through difficulties by God's appointments and graces. So we give ourselves to the church, even if it is imperfect, because this is the will of God for us. And we even see the Macedonians themselves had an imperfect church. And that does not end with signing the minute book here. He says, give yourself one to another. Let me read from our membership covenant, which we will hear shortly. Do you recognize your responsibility to work with others in the church? And do you promise to support and encourage them in their service to the Lord? And in case you need correction in doctrine or life, do you promise to respect the authority and discipline of the church? You're seeing two ways that we give ourselves to the church in this. First is a giving of ourselves by vowing to support and encourage other brethren. It's not just the job of the elders, in other words, to support and encourage. It's all of our duty before God. And the second is a giving of ourselves in a vow of subjection to the Lord's authority and discipline. And what you have to see as we consider a giving of ourselves in service is that service to your brethren is a natural outflow of consecrating yourself to the Lord. That's all that is. Because Christ says to serve his body is to serve him. In Matthew 25, 35 through 40, let me read this. Christ said, For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, 
When saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. He says verily. In other words, he has to buttress it for our sake by saying truly, like you won't believe it. Truly, whatever you do to his brethren, you do to him. You see, when the Macedonians gave to Jerusalem, they were giving to Christ. They were giving to Christ. They were doing it for Christ. Because what we do to his body, whether for good or ill, as Paul found out on the road to Damascus, he counts as being done to himself. And let me say, when it is hard to serve others in the church, this is what you must understand. You're not doing it ultimately even for them, but for the Lord who bought you with a great price. This is what helps you serve your brethren that are hard to serve, friends. You're doing it for Jesus' sake. He counts what you do for him. And sometimes that's where we have to begin because otherwise we won't do it or we'll make excuses. This one is just too hard to serve. This one just doesn't like me very much. This one said something mean to me 10 years ago and I've kept a grudge. Well, you have to release that grudge, but you also have to realize what I do to the least of these, his brethren, I do to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I have given myself body and soul to him, I will serve the Lord no matter what. You see them as the body of your beloved Savior. And when you see them as sinners, and that is often, right, that is the mark of the hypocrite. What's the difference between the Pharisee and the publican? Right? The publican, the tax collector, sees only his sin. And the Pharisee sees all the sins of this tax collector. And that's how we are in the church. We look on our brethren and all we see are their faults not their graces. And all we see of ourselves are our graces and never our faults. And so, friends, you need to ask your soul when you see your, your, your brother or sister as sinners, oh, my soul, did Christ not come to save sinners? Oh, my soul, did Christ come to save the righteous? Who could be saved? Oh, my soul, am I so blameless and perfect in my own dealings with others? And so let me, oh, my soul, resolve to love my brethren from a pure heart no matter their imperfection. And Galatians 6.10, a commandment from the Lord says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Do you see the terms of endearment that the Lord uses to describe His church? The household of faith. Not just the assembly of the saints, but the household of faith. With God as Father, and we as brother and sister. Do you want to serve Christ today? Do you want to work out your consecration to Him? Will you serve His people? You can sing Psalm 16 someday. Psalm 16, 2-3. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth. There is a recognition, friends. There is nothing good we can do to the Lord to add one iota to His blessedness or happiness. My goodness does not extend to thee, O Lord. In other words, there is nothing I can do to make God more happy than he is. Not a single thing. And so the psalmist says, so what will I do? I will then instead, I will look unto the saints that are in the earth and my goodness will extend to them. And in so doing, I will serve Christ. You know, in the Lord's providence, 
We're in a season with a lot of needs in the congregation, a lot of physical illness, babies born or being born, people struggling. We all have our own burdens to bear, I understand, but still spend some time thinking of your brethren, beloved. The Bible says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Do you know who that was being addressed to? The Philippians, the Macedonian church. Philippians 2.4. So even the Macedonians, friends, the great example that they are had to be reminded of this. And so do we. You've probably heard that many times. You have to hear it again. Give yourself to the service of the Lord. Find ways to share the gospel as well with others and be engaged in the business of saving souls that Christ's kingdom may advance. Second, when you give yourself to the church, and we'll end with this thought, you submit yourself to its discipline. Hebrews 13, 17. This is what giving of ourselves to the church is about too. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. No one wants to say this anymore in the church today in America, but this is why lawlessness abounds in the church. We must obey Elders who watch over our souls. And of course, their discipline must come from the word of God. They must be able to discipline by saying, look, brother, look, sister, you're breaking the commandments of God. Not my, my thoughts, not my opinion, not my thought on what I think you ought to do. But look, clearly and plainly, the word of God says, thou shalt not do this or thou shalt do this. And you're not doing it. And I have to watch over your soul. And you must, you must do what God has to say. You say you have given yourself to the Lord first. Part of giving yourself to the church is to have those look after you. Submit in the Lord. Even as a minister, there are elders in our presbytery and on this session that watch over my soul, watch over my actions. And it really loosens my burdens to know that others are watching my soul. And so it should do uh, the same for you, to know that there are men here to watch over you and your family. Very countercultural, but supremely biblical. And to give ourselves to the church in both these ways is to give ourselves to the universal church. Now, you may not have noticed this, but Presbyterianism is here in this text, isn't it? We are not, in Christ's eyes, a bunch of unconnected, isolated individual churches. Think of it. Where is the Macedonian church? The church of Macedonia. Where is it in the scripture? Philippi, Thessalonica, part of the Macedonian church. They're counted regionally part of the same church. Paul treats them as a presbytery, a regional church. So we give ourselves to the work of our greater presbytery and synod as well. We don't think of ourselves standing alone, Dallas Reformed Presbyterian Church. We belong to a greater body. That's why we care for and pray for the saints in Stillwater, College Station, Houston. San Antonio, why your elders deal with controversies this past summer with a church in Indiana. Why we are prayed for by name, friends, and maybe this cheers you to know this, by elderly saints in Pittsburgh in the RP home. Why the saints in Japan, Scotland, Ireland know several of you by name and pray for you constantly. Because that is what the Bible teaches the church is. That is the body of Christ and it is glorious. Brethren, we are all going to spend eternity together if we have faith in Christ. And we will spend eternity at the feet of Jesus, praising him for loving us and making us one body, his own. Have that in view. 
when you consider your brethren today. Serve them well, knowing you are serving Christ. And if you've never heard the gospel of free grace before, put your faith in Jesus today. Be saved forevermore. All your sins cleansed. And you can say with us who believe, Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And in return, I will give myself first to him and then to his church by the will of God. By the will of God, this couple will soon take the membership covenant. They will give themselves to us. And it's our duty before God to give ourselves to them as well, to bear their burdens as our own, to look after their interests as well as ours. And the day, if God willing, they are blessed with children, to look after their children as well. That is what the church of Jesus Christ is like, of those who have given themselves to the Lord and have a care one for another as we give ourselves to another. Well, with such meditations on the word, let us go to the Lord praying, thy will be done. Amen. Please rise for prayer. O Lord, our God, we pray that thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven that as we have heard the will of God in the Holy Scriptures, that you would give us the grace to obey, that we might say and pray even now with Augustine, Father, that you would command what you will and that you would give us the grace to obey your will. O Father, set us on fire for Christ. Help us to consecrate ourselves to you, O Lord. We know we cannot do this through the flesh. Our flesh despises such a thought. And so may your spirit consecrate ourselves to the Lord and then to his church. And if any here have never heard the gospel before, the simplicity of it and the beauty of it, the power of it, O Lord, may this be the day of their salvation. Give them the faith to believe and be saved forever. We pray and ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.